Hello and welcome to Unstoppable. I'm your host, Kerwin Ray, and today we talk to Tom Griffiths of Emma and Tom's fame. Now, Tom is actually the co-founder and chairman of the internationally successful whole food brand, Emma and Tom's, which are all natural, no refined sugars and minimally processed foods, I should say, and juices. Tom is the co-founder and chairman of the internationally successful whole fruit brand, Emma and Tom's, which is Australian and now international sensation. Emma and Tom's is a certified B corporation, which means they're socially and environmentally responsible business and is one of Ernst Young's Entrepreneurs of the Year. Now, this is an incredible story of how these guys basically started in their kitchen and turned this into an incredible national icon. We talk about when he met Emma at 12 years of age. He met his business partner at the age of 12 and how trust, respect and a shared vision is what made them work together. We talk about how they launched Emma's and Tom by buying 8,000 and filling 8,000 bottles, but with no one to actually buy them. We also talk about how to maintain and communicate with all of your customers, product developments in a cutthroat industry and how to manage being a single father whilst being in a startup and a running successful business. He talks about how he motivates his team, how keeping up with culture at scale, recession proofing and stockpiling cash and how they cracked through the eight figure mark after just 15 short years. For those of you who are looking for more information on business, you're wanting to get a little bit more inspiration, this is going to be one for you. Tom Griffiths of Emma and Tom's fame. Listen up. This episode is brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for businesses. If you have ever wanted to grow your business faster than what you can right now, if you need to make more revenue, if you need more leads, if you need more clients, if you need to know how to plan your business in a strategic way in order to hit big goals, if you need to learn how to scale your business and grow your team and your business so that you have more freedom, then this program is for you. Imagine three days immersed with me where we cover all aspects of business, but we do it from an immersive but also an execution standpoint. We execute every step of the way and we're looking at five key areas we're looking at your psychology we're looking at your marketing your sales your leadership and we're looking at your planning and how we integrate these five key areas to grow your business and your brand quickly so if you'd like to find out more information kerwinray.com well ladies and gentlemen it is my absolute pleasure to welcome to unstoppable one half of emma and tom's tom griffith how are you mate Superb, thank you, Kevin. Right, it's absolutely fantastic to have you here. Now, um, for people that have never heard of you before, you're um, you're one half of the Emma and Tom's success story. Uh, for people who perhaps aren't familiar with it, why don't you give us a, a little bit of the the, the the elevator speech on what Emma and Tom's is all about? Sure, Emma and Tom's is a leading Australian healthy drinks and snacks business. Uh, we make essentially our products have three common attributes. They are all natural, there's no added sugar, and they are minimally processed. And it's an incredible success. You guys are now stocked in more than 6,000 stores around the world, also sold in China, Dubai, Malaysia, Hong Kong, and Singapore. And uh, you guys have cracked through the ten, uh, sorry, the eight-figure eight figure mark when it comes to success. And um, yeah, you guys are really are an incredible Australian success story. Look, it's been uh, 15 years. 15, uh, uh, 15 years to be an overnight success, right? Who would have thought? But um, what's really interesting, because we actually had you come and speak to our K2s a couple of years ago. I I actually thought it was last year. I've just found out from your photo. It was like almost two fucking years ago. Uh, time flies, but it has been very kind to the both of us, I must say. <laughs> Probably more to me, but that's okay. But um, I do just... But what I found really interesting is the story behind how Em and Tom's came together. Not really, not that many people actually know how it came to be. Where did it all begin? Look, it's very simple. I mean, I knew Emma for a long time. Right. Uh, I saw this product in North America, loved it. I, I knew she'd be the ideal business partner. What was your background? Because your background no, wasn't... I was a CFO. I was a banker. Yeah, right. Um, so Investment I, banking, weren't you? Yeah. yeah. So if Emma's been critical, she could say, oh, you behave more like an investor than a bloody operational guy, but I, <laughs> I do my best. Um, essentially, she's very bright and I'm good at lifting heavy things, so it works well. It's a, it, the perfect combination. Yeah. So you guys actually knew each other for a period of time? I met Emma having a swimming lesson at the Harold Holt Memorial Pool when I was 12 years old. No kidding. True story. Wow. So you guys have been like best buddies. Not best friends. Yeah. Never, never are. Even still aren't today. But we are. <laughs> we're good friends. And we do actually, we still you know, say please and thank you and, yeah. and respect each other enormously. It's not like an offhand, it's been 15 years. Yeah. Um, and we used to put that down, you know, I often say, to three common factors being trust, respect, and a shared vision, which yeah, are right. elements of a relationship. So you guys have known each other since the age of 12, but at what age did you guys kind of realize that you could do something together? We were late entrepreneurs. Right. Um, we had talked about sort of doing our own thing, not necessarily together, but Emma was in London and France when I was working in both countries. We'd talk right. up for dinner and drinks and occasionally or perhaps have a ski together. 
And we just talked about it. And when this situation arose, I thought- When you say talked about it, were you talking about- Not about Emma and Tom's. Right, just, just a business. Just getting out and doing something ourselves. What was Emma doing at the time? Emma had a- well, At that point, she'd, um, she'd done Cargill, Uncle Ben's, so two big family-owned businesses, right. Cargill and Mars. She did an MBA at INSEAD in Fontainebleau in France. Wow. She did a, a year at LEK, just getting her sort of strategy consulting part sharpened up. Then did a London-based startup, uh, which was really- uh, it was a similar business to um, Aconex in Australia. Right. They blew their dough, sold what they had to Pilkington, and she came to Australia and got a job, big job, as head of consumer marketing for the NAB. Right. Um, and I was doing a London startup as well. And uh, when that went pear-shaped because our backer lost one and a half billion pounds of his own wealth in the tech wreck. Right. Which is what got me over to North America to, to have a ski. Right. And I was in the Gandhi every morning going to the high upper and drinking these green smoothies okay uh, and thought that's a great product and I'd been doing a lot of work in London for Pernod Ricard the French drinks conglomerate yep so I had a brand of drinks on my brain right I'd done a startup so that was a startup sort of thing in London so I knew I could do it although it's harder than you think um, and I still find that today uh, came back and we got going by going and seeing Gary at a cafe deli in the Melbourne suburb of Carlton and asked Gary what he liked to give his customers right and he told us what he liked, and we, we worked out that every single item in his store was there for a reason. Right. It was just like fill the shelves. Yeah. Um, we then started making our own blends in the kitchen. We, so you, you know, literally started in your own kitchen? Started from scratch. We, yeah. Yeah, we convinced a person, a business that makes bottles, right. to, for no, no cost to us, to design a bottle for us. We wanted a square bottle, and that wasn't common in Australia in that time. Because Square was meant super premium in the USA. Right. And they didn't charge us the normal sort of 45 grand to do a Honda bottle. They backed our spreadsheet. We found a distributor uh, via a mate, stepbrother's girlfriend, stepfather, who <laughs> was buying one. We went and sold to them on a PowerPoint presentation with no, no, with no product. No product. So they right. just, just basically had everyone sort of, all the, all the plates spinning. Right. And then we um, sort of got to the point of no return and ordered 100,000 bottles to get made. And Emma announced that she had. Um, Purchased twenty thousand bucks worth of passion fruit, which was, which was an, <laughs> an awful lot in those days. Um, now this is right on startup stage, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, we were, we were, we were, we, it wasn't pretty, but we started. Yeah, we had eight thousand bottles and no customers, and um, off you go. Wow. Hmm. And so, like, look, correct me if I'm wrong, because the picture I have in my head, I, I literally see you in an apron around a giant pot uh, with Emma sticking uh, labels on bottles while you have a ladle and you're filling up bottles and putting lids on them. Is that... Is that uh, uh, yeah, and we did different batches and we numbered them. Right. And we had uh, focus groups. We've got friends around to taste them and they would mark down the one they liked the most. Yeah. And we did that a few times. The first time we did it, we were, we were very naive. We served wine beforehand, so everyone's palate was <laughs> totally screwed. Um, yeah, that was like the early days. Let's get them drunk first. Yeah. yeah. So we did you know, focus groups, yeah. and we and we took them out to our distributor. And then we had to, of course, convert kitchen to industrial. Right. So rather than using but, a but at, what, at what point did you do that? Because you know that's that's the point that I see a lot of home businesses they, they they fail to scale and they fail because they fail to scale. At what point did you realise? Okay, we need to go from the kitchen to an industrial kitchen. Was it quite early on in the journey? When I say industrial kitchen. I'm talking a thousand liter tank. Okay? Wow. You got to make a batch. Yeah. Right. Um, you really can't put less than a thousand liters through a bottling line. It's just it'll it'll it won't fill it. Okay. So you then start using commercially available fruit, not the Victorian market banana, you get, you know, Asian frozen banana, Asian aseptic banana, Australian frozen banana, Australian aseptic banana, and you work out what tastes the best. Because in a product even like a green power, where there's uh, six or seven different juices and purees, you know, even one thing, one thing, a plum that's 7% from memory in that bottle, if we go and get a dodgy or a cheaper or a yellow, knotty red plum, it changes the taste. Right. So, as you know, and there's nowhere to hide for us. Yeah. We don't use sugar or preservatives or flavors or colors. So, we call it the risk of real. Uh, so, you know, everything's got to be done perfectly. Otherwise, it doesn't taste great and you can't sell things that don't taste great. Have you, has that caused in itself, like obviously it's an incredible marketing position to have for a product, but has that in itself cost you a lot of money when it comes to batches not turning out right, if the fruit's not quite ready or if the fruit's not ripe enough, if the fruit's slightly different, if it's come from a different grower because your other supply goes down? Look, that happened. And I'm, to use the obvious example, orange juice is more sour in winter than summer. Yeah, now, right. our consumers get the fact that it's all natural and we don't beef it up with sugar and things. Right. So we get very, very few 
complaints or even correspondence to say X, Y, Z was a bit funny this week, you know, um, be- because they know that, it, that there is seasonal variation. Right. Because it's natural. It's real. But you do have quite an active consumer base, don't you? Like They communicate with you quite openly. I'm big on maintaining a two-way conversation with your consumer. Yeah. So we just Because you've got two consumers. You've got the retailers and you've got the, the, the end user as well, don't you? Well done. And yeah. we, have, we have another stakeholder group being our team. Ooh, yes. So three. Um, so yeah, we have our customers being yep. the shop. Then we have our consumers being you who buy from the shop. Yeah. So we're, we're acutely aware of that. And um, we main, try to maintain, like the skill is to maintain constant communication. So it's sort of yeah, like water torture, drip, 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 drip. So you're always online. You respond quickly. If there's an issue, take it offline and deal with it quickly and respectfully. So that, 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 yeah, that's a job in itself, as you can imagine. And one of the things that you guys have done quite well, you've, you've actually managed the supply chain because you're not just producing the product. You're also del- you, you've got your own bands on the road. Yeah. And which is, as far as I know, that's a very uncommon thing to do in your industry because most people, when they tap into a distributor, they're tapping into the logistics network as well, aren't they? So we've done our own. So right. with 3,000 customers, and obviously there's 10% churn because they go out of business or change hands, et cetera. Yep. You know, 3,000 customers alone probably means six to 9,000 visits before you land them. Wow. It doesn't, you know, just walk in and they just, you know, drop, dead, drop, drop everything and say you're in. It takes quite a bit of, they want to talk to their business partner or their, their life partner about. So to get 3,000 customers, that's 18,000 connects. And then you've, yeah, then you've got, you're losing sort of 300, 400 a year just by natural attrition. Yeah, so yeah. you've got to win more than that a year to, to grow. Yeah. Uh, so it's work, I can tell you. But Th- this you is great it. for the, the young ones out there who are thinking, oh, I'd love to do a fucking vitamin water. Get out there and do what, uh, not what was his name, 50 Cent did, and get a vitamin water and make hundreds of millions of dollars. Four billion. This is <laughs> so his payday was $400 million. He had 10%. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So yeah, it's work. I've seen a lot of bottling plants where there's a, couple of pallets of cans sort of kicking around you know called red rhino or something yeah and you go what do you do with those and they go um do you know any distributors i like, what's the use by their fellas and i had this this conversation some, some time ago someone had a hundred thousand cans they weren't quite happy with and i just said look from if it was me i'd try and get 10 20 cents a can back from not just not quite right and and get on with it but uh, there's a risk there's a real risk in that last mile right you know you can go off with your group here and you can go to a bottling plant up in the the Murray irrigation area yeah squeeze off some oranges put it in a bottle put it in a cool room have it shipped to a, a cool room in Sydney then what and the last mile is the hard bit where you've got to get it to the store reliably day in or week in, week out. And has that been one of your competitive advantages, not just owning the logistics network, but also using the logistics network as a almost a supply chain of communication? Like they're, they're the people that are at the front line. They're talking to the, the consumers at the end, being the uh, the retailers yep. and probably having some customer FaceTime as well. Is that is that an important part of your, 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 your business? Absolutely. I mean, we see our customers weekly, if not fortnightly. Right. So we do develop things around them. You know, I could, we can do a new product and have it into 3,000 sort of sets of hands in a couple of weeks. So speed to market is huge. Right. Um, if for some reason something doesn't work that well, which just happens occasionally, of course, um, you know, you just sell it out, burn some labels and move on. So it's a good model. Because you guys have gone from drinks and I know in 2017, was it 2016 or 2017 you launched food products? Earlier, um, and they were picked up by Woolworths very quickly. Right. So they're the leading, the the bars are the leading um, brand in Woolworths Health Food. We've since right? done We've since done some wonderful uh, protein balls, and we're being sustainable. We sell the balls down to cafes, unwrapped in a box, and we supply the jar and a cardboard band oh, around the jar. Mate, good on so you. they tip them from a cardboard box into the jar. That's not, they're not. So in, for, for that format, they're not wrapped individually. Yeah. And we're even more mature about the whole thing if the cafe or the food store wants to they can slide the band off and go there our boss so we're we're looking at more sustainable White stuff that way yeah, right. yeah, so we're doing that we're about to launch a ripper product which has i tasted some samples a few weeks ago and they've got the mouthfeel and sort of the endorphin of a of a uh, a treat type chocolate bar type you know right. product and there are a cranberry cacao bar with three egg whites in it. No. Gold. So we're talking about 16 grams of protein? Correct. Yeah, right. Gold. And they taste a bit, I suppose it's kind of the egg white. There's a slight little sort of mouthfeel that you could probably say was a bit sort of almost marshmallow in it. Oh. See? But they're healthy. Yep. So, you know, the thing is here, I mean, 
innovation, as you know, in this current market can last only, um, you know, you can be copied in a week. Yeah. So you've got to get things out and the brand, then the brand strength holds it up. So protein has become quite a buzzword used on packaging for health products because people are now yep. seeing the benefits, you know, from, you know, especially with the ketogenic diet being so, so powerful. It's coming out in your food products, but I've noticed you, you haven't, and correct me if I'm wrong here, you haven't actually launched a protein drink yet, have you? Although you've brought out milks. We've done a range of... Um, no added sugar flavored milks. Right. So whilst plain milk's got five grams of carbohydrate per 100 mils, yep. so have ours, but they're, but they're flavored. So right. chocolate, salted caramel, going into Costco Taiwan, espresso and strawberry. Um, and we are looking obviously at other protein drinks, yes. It's a matter of, you know, we've got a huge um, new product pipeline. Right. And it, you know, we've got limited resources obviously. Yeah. And you know, someone said, what, what would you do if someone threw you $20 million? Um, and I sort of, whether Emma agrees, but I would, you know, beef up our new product department by 10 more people yep. and launch 50 products but you've obviously got to be able to sell them yeah. so you probably then you'd hire a couple more um, grocery sales people yep. because how far is the brand stretch you know sugar free children's cordial yeah popcorn done to death but yeah that works so where there's a pipeline for it um, but do you see it. like the, in the health movement like high protein products is, is, is quite a a hot market right now. Absolutely. So is that a product that you've, you've put to the, there's obviously, you know, a hundred products in line for, for innovation. We've, we've, we've done a protein bar right. in the last 12 months. But what about a, a drink, a protein drink? Uh, once again, on the list. On not, the list, not done but yet. not a priority. Remember, see, we use co-packers. Yep. So we have factories that we, have, we call on all right. over Australia and you need to find, you know, the right plant to do the right job. So right now we're focusing on a, um, because you've got to have a focus, otherwise you're, you're all over the shop. We have a focus at the moment on getting out a um, a prebiotic and probiotic two-liter orange juice and breakfast juice for grocery. Yeah, right. Which is a value add-on, just normal old OJ. Yeah. So, and it's once again, it's single strength, beautiful, flash pasteurized, Murrumbidgee irrigation area orange. It's the best you can get. Yeah, right. Um, so that's the priority right now. So we can get that out. And you're also quite socially responsible. Like, uh, uh, you know, you, you, you threw in there before, like with your protein balls, there's a little bit of conservation gone in there. You're offering them in boxes, unwrapped, to be able to put in a bowl. Yet your packaging is actually plastic, which seemed kind of ironic. But if not for the fact you just told me about another business that, you, um, that you're that you involved in, it's almost like you've looked for a solution to a problem that you're actually participating in. We are. Now, you'll see on that bottle there, there's an RPET sign. Yep. So half of our plastic in our bottles is recycled plastic. Right. So we're doing that bit that we can do. Yeah. We understand plastic is not uh, is not desirable, or as desirable. What are the alternatives? Um, glass is very heavy to transport, so right. it will take more fuel. Right. Um, and breaks, of course. Uh, you can't flash pasteurize into glass. That's right. going to be um, that has to be hot filled, which stews the juice a lot more. So the integrity uh, of the fruit is okay. ruined more. Yeah. So. A new business that I'm involved in, and um, we'll lift the cloak off it more th- more thoroughly in about four months' time, is making pallets like what you would transport everything in the world on on a, on a currently a wooden pallet. These are plastic pallets, and they will be made from recycled HDPE, which is milk bottle plastic, and PET, which is your water bottle plastic. Right. This plastic? Yeah. Yep. This PET. Yep. Um, and really, with the size of the pallet market we believe we're going to need to be bottled in Australia. Wow. Yeah. And but there were some interesting, other interesting statistics. You were saying that 40% of the lumber industry is driven by... Hardwood plastic. Hard, hardwood pellets. Hardwood pellets. Correct. So we're talking, we're not just talking about a conservation effort from uh, recycling of plastics. We're also talking about a conservation effort here from uh, re, not a revegetation and a, a deforestation perspective as well. Correct. That's pretty impressive, mate. It is. It's, it's going to be – I mean, it's a global thing. If you look at, say, um, Australian share market being 1% of, uh, of global capitalisation, yep. you probably assume trade about aligns. Yeah. So Australia's trade's about 1% of the world. So this is going to be a, an, an international business that was, that was hatched in Australia. Wow. Um, and we'll be operating it um, offshore mainly because you've got to be obviously close to where the markets are. Yeah, of course. Uh, but we can ship these flat-packed, so you, you aren't shipping air. Yeah. So you can fill a pallet. <laughs> um, and get them overseas and assemble them abroad. Okay, cool. I hate to lip salute back because I know we just closed the door on the um, on product development, but also I, I noticed you don't have any caffeine products either yet, do you? We do. Well, no, we do. We have a you ca- do? We have a coffee bean and cacao bar. Right. Okay. And we actually use coffee beans, ground okay. up beans, and we have a, a espresso flavored, no added sugar milk. Right, which has actually has caffeine in it. But, 
Proper, proper coffee. Proper yeah, coffee. Yeah. yeah, right. Of course, it's Emirates Helms. We're not going <laughs> to use, you know... No flavours, that's right, of some, course. Some dodgy powder, yeah. I can tell you. So, look, I, I can only assume, you know, because I've, 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 I've heard other case studies around businesses that have tried to break into the, you know, the fruit juice markets. You know, Nudie was a really interesting story. And, you know, there was some, some I don't know if they were conspiracy theories that were rolling around when Nudie first launched and they were, you know, starting to take a bit of a foothold in the market. And all of a sudden, their, their warehouse and their distribution inexplicably burned down and there was all sorts of you know rumors circling around as it was industrial espionage and look i'm not saying anything was anything but it was very curious but i do know that your industry you're in is quite a cutthroat industry it's a very competitive it's a multi-billion dollar you know network globally what kind of challenges have you come up against when you you know you're just emma and tom you know we're starting now in you know in our in our backyard so to speak with a with a pot and a ladle and uh, and our hundred thousand you know bottles and our twenty thousand dollars worth of passion fruit did you ruffle a few feathers when you first came in? We were. Or did it take a while? We were naive. I had actually a, a meeting with a very senior Australian company director, and actually chairman of a, you know, of, of a top Australian um, listed company, and he actually said, "Really, you shouldn't have worked. Shouldn't have worked. You would have had the those multinationals would have steamrolled you." But while whilst we launched, these those big companies did bring out competing products, and we prevailed the entire time because it's ours. We own it. Um, you know, it's our business. We never had a fail type um, synergy. We just, you know, there was no ever thought of failure. We are determined to behave like the victor, not the victim. Yeah, nice. Um, so we step up. And, you know, because we own the van, because we own the juice, we bat our corner. And the good news now is that we are currently supplying one of our, my new customers, our new customers, is Coca-Cola Amatel who have to put healthy drinks and snacks into their regulated vending machines. So that when I say regulated, the ones in schools and hospitals, where <laughs> the, the contents have to be of a certain yeah. standard. And we are now supplying um, bars and nuts to CCA for their vending machines. Wow. Have they tapped you on the shoulder for yeah, an acquisition? they approached us. Well, look, they actually asked me how they could, they need to have a brand that's got the same sort of brand uh, ethics, ethics yep. and, and, and ethos as, as ours. And I flannelled him, and I went away and thought about it. And so you, you just don't, you can't, you can't create that. I mean, this has been us fifteen years doing yeah. reliably good things that taste great day in day out, and that's the brand build. I mean, you know, we take it say to the cafe, you buy your lunch, and Joe, who runs the cafe, says, "Look, Kevin, try this great green power with your lunch. It's from Emma and Tom's. They're an Australian business, and you." get it you haven't been advertised out you think you've discovered it yourself you like it and you tell your friends that's what takes 10 years mm. but we always thought also there's no silver bullet there's no pop idol here yeah it does it you got to earn it and um i would suspect which is also very good no one really knows emma and myself we can walk down the middle of pitt street and no one says there's emma and tom yeah right so we don't need to do a branson to support the brand the brand does that yeah right which is perfect you know is there ever going to be an exit for emma and tom's look where We've got four or five things, as I outlined earlier, um, that we're very excited about right now. So we see a big growth step in the next 18 months. And right now, our focus is definitely on that. On that. Absolutely. So that's not a no. Look, there's always a, there's always a, yeah, a number. There's always a number. Time, yeah. Obviously, you know, Blind Freddy knows that. Uh, Emma's a trader. I'm a trader. Yeah. Um, but similarly, and, you know, it's our baby. We started it. We've yeah. got four or five hot things on right now. Um, why flick it when you can perhaps double it? Yeah, okay, I like that. Yeah. And so what are some of the bigger challenges? Like, have you ever had your, your back against, so far against the wall where you're like, fuck, I'm not sure we're going to make it out of this yep. situation? We had a failed business model. We had to pivot and we didn't analyze things enough ourselves. Okay. And we realized one day we were churning customers at 40%. Holy shit. Because the distributor wasn't giving it the love and upping the minimum order and you know, making life as hard for the customers as possible. So they were not getting through what they had to buy. So my sales staff are out there replacing blown and out-of-date stock, not trying to sell new ones. So it was like going to the casino. We're just churning. So Emma's husband and I got in a van on a very wet August afternoon and went out and started selling door-to-door. And we got seven new accounts that afternoon because people liked the high level of service alongside the Mm. premium product. At that point, we had done our dough. It was out like Nadir. Emma's like hunched over her computer saying, Let's, we, we can trade our way out, out of this, being the trader. A mate of mine lent us 100000 bucks, charged me a bottle of three at night a day until we paid him back. <laughs> True story. It was 41 days in the end. Because, um, of course... The Sorry, what's, excuse my ignorance. Three at nine. What's uh, Penfold's been three at nine. It's a, it's a good 
middle of the of the row. You'd have it at any time. Australian red wine. Okay, nice. Um, Forty-one bottles later. Yeah, which is you know very good of him. He lived nearby too, so I used to pop across with a couple of tea bones, <laughs> 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 knowing um, the wine sales were good. Um, and of course, because when you have got no money and you can't pay your freight company, the first thing the freight company that does not do is pick up. So business stops. Right. So we've we've had you know. Uh, numerous close calls everyone does you know i've had coffees with that I'd, I'd encourage people to you know seek out advice and people who've done it before i've talked to radix Sally who sold swiss and a bloke called tim york who currently runs daryl lee so both have been on the coal face and they, they've both said to me you must have had some close calls because yeah, they know yeah. they've done this before and they know the you know, the landscape where others go oh, i see you drinks in these lovely fridges in the shops it all looks so good but that's like the tip of the iceberg yeah you know the guts of it is that the, the Tim York, the Radix Sarley's going bloody hell. Yeah. Because um, it's, you know, it's tough out there. 15 years, you'd have a lot of scars. Yeah. Because I'm going to assume it's, there's not just been one situation. Oh, no. There's probably been like multiple situations. Yeah. So what do you do? Like, because one of the things I see with business owners, and it's really quite interesting, is they go, oh, you know, I just, I seem to struggle for motivation. And, and for me, I find that almost a foreign concept, although I can relate maybe 20, 30 years ago. But what I'm curious to know is what is it that gets you through? Like in situations like that when your back is against the wall, in situations where you've got more work than you know. Because you were saying before, because you, you're not just an entrepreneur. You're also a single father with two daughters. Yeah. And you, were, you made reference before. What was the, what was the oh, analogy? Having children doing a startup is yeah, um, a running analogy. of Like running a marathon and being handed a fridge to carry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks for that. No kidding. So what is it that gets you through? Like what's your, you know, because you know, there's often these cliche um, phrases when the why is, when you're clear on the why, the how is easy. Why do you do what you do? What is it that drives you, that gets you out of bed in the morning? Look, being a single father and back through the phase when I was becoming a confirmed single father and all the lovely goings on that's involved with that you know I was running a lot I ate probably way above my pay scales the quality of food I eat I had Emma and my friends and family supporting me so I was not under the table sucking the thumb sort of yeah. thing I was fine I, and I really was I was absolutely fine I slept well I'm, I'm right and we are very tenacious and you've got to be like a dog with a bone you know and to use an analogy, you know, if someone tries to have a go at your business, you burn their fucking house down. Yeah. You have to. It's as simple as that. Like, yeah. you know, you've got to fight for it. Yeah, Because right. no one else really cares. Yeah. And that is that is true. Yeah. You know, uh, if this disappeared tomorrow, really? You know, our staff can't get a new job, suppliers find new customers. I mean, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, you've got to fight your corner. So what about on, on the personal side? Have you, have you had to... Have you experienced or we have to deal with personal tragedy along the way whilst being an entrepreneur and get through that as well? No, I've been very lucky. I mean, barring a, having my children move to Sydney, which was uh, a bit of a tough one at the time, um, but we've made that work. Uh, so you're in Sydney now? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm based in Melbourne, but right. I'm, I'm in Sydney once a week because of the okay. girls. Um, I saw them all weekend, for example. And, nice. You know, um, so that's all good. Yep. We have a very strong relationship. We had Easter together for a long time. So we're, we're fine and we get along like a house on fire. Um, and I've always really sort of cared for them as a single parent anyhow. So I was at home with two newborns and nappies many, 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 many nights alone at, you know, at, and then doing the, the work with Emma. Yeah, right. Emma's been a great business partner, which has helped. She's very supportive. Uh, hopefully she'll say the same of me. I'm supportive of her. <laughs> so yeah, we've we've behaved like a couple of people in this together. Um, we're definitely as far as yeah, we wear two hats. We are we work in the business. Yep. And we're owners. Yeah. And they they are quite separate hats. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, Emma's very experienced in what she's done. She's very very good at new product. Um, and as in as owners and investors, we we have very similar um, philosophy on what we're doing. And then as business owners or running the business. What's actually quite a unique thing, we have very similar palettes. And in this business, that's actually a, a bonus. Yeah, right. Because obviously, it, it's in most business partnerships, you want to have someone that is actually very different to you. Well, Emma's glass is definitely half empty, and she yeah. she would acknowledge that. I'm right. Not speaking out of turn here. I'm probably over-optimistic. Well, that's probably quite a good blend. It's a great blend. Uh, she actually said uh, after a meeting last week, oh, I hope I didn't talk it down too much. So I said, no, no, I was, I was conscious of that, and you didn't. So that's the level of honesty. Yeah, you know, you have to be able to say that. Well, they say that the only ship that's destined to sink is the partnership. Yet you, here we are, fifteen years later. You know, ten million dollar plus success, six thousand stores in a range of different countries around the world. Has it always been smooth sailing at the partnership level, or have there been some times where it's like, fuck, oh god, I think we need to make this toms. One thing I learned from my marriage it was a phrase that my ex-wife used, and I think it's a cracker. 
you only ever step up into the lifeboat. <laughs> and, you know, we've had times where it's been tough, but we've found a way out. And right. we reckon there's always a solution. This is the thing. There's always, let's say we should have cashed today. Well, you know what? We can ring up one of our big suppliers and say, okay, your terms are 60 days. We need it now. And we're a small supplier. And they actually are helpful. They do it for you. So, you know, there's always a way you can find the answer. Uh, early on, we you know, obviously everyone, everyone has cash flow problems. It's, you see it in every business that we deal with. We would ring Michelle Nugan, who is a lovely woman up in, up in Griffith, and say, Michelle, we can't pay you on Monday, but we can pay you Tuesday next week. No worries, Tom. And we pay her on Tuesday next week. So you do what you say you're going to do. Mm, and that's, that's a good I think, value. That helped us an awful lot. And one of the tests we were um, appraised on in getting a B Corp certification was longevity of supplier relationships. Mm. And all of ours are more than 10 years. Right. So we, yeah, we haven't dicked people around. That's incredible. Yeah. So do you guys have a default mode that you go into when there is conflict at a partnership level? Or is it, is it so rare because you have such an open, honest... It's rare because yeah. we behave in the best interest of either the, the product, the customer or the business, not in Emma's f- or Tom's. I love that. And, and that, that's not just something that should be seen at an owner level. That, that should be, to me, that should be ingrained through the whole company. And it basically is. They all yeah. behave... Our team behave like business owners and mm. it's, it's, it's to their absolute credit, to the point that even once we started our homelessness charity... I got a, a, an email or a Facebook message from somebody in the public seeing one of our, our girls who drives a van hand a bottle of fruit juice to a homeless person. Oh. Now, of course, I hadn't told her to do that. That's yeah. just what she's, that's the matter. Yeah, that's the culture. Yeah. That's the brand. So how do you get your team to act like owners when most act like they're in an adult daycare center? Driving our vans, which is the majority of jobs in our business, um, it, it doesn't work for half the people who try, who, right. who, who try to do it. So there's quite a high churn rate? Either, no, there's a, quite a high not start rate. Right. So either they say it's not for me or we say it's not for you because it's very easy in a Sydney sense to drift towards Bondi. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to buy yourself in a van, yeah. you know. Uh, we give them, but now we have GPS, we give them runs. They have good bonus targets right. in both new customers and sales levels. So the good people are motivated and they do a fantastic job. Um, and you see a, a poor performer because it's all about sales. Mm. It's a number, you know. Uh, but a good salesperson wants that number. They're driven by rewards and bonuses and, and achievement. So we have state managers, we have national manager. You know, Emma's husband manages the team nationally exceptionally well. Um, our head office team behaves like family. Uh, just because my name's on the bottle doesn't mean I'm treated any differently at work, mm-hmm. uh, and nor do I behave differently at work. Um, so when it comes to motivating your team, I am curious because you've, you've mentioned something that might be worth exploring. Do you find that different, different departments, different roles require different sources of motivation? Completely. And so how would you distinguish that? If you were to categorize it, what would, what would, what would that look like? Um, well, between the sales team, they want money. Right. Sales, sales people are driven by cash. Yep. And I'm not trying to belittle them in saying no. that, but they are. They're very driven real by Real salespeople. Yeah, reward. Not pretend salespeople not who think they are. And, and there's a difference. Yeah. A real salesperson is a whole different creature. Yeah. And they just, once again, don't see anything but the sale. Yep. And they'll go at it and go at it and go at it. Where, say, somebody in the office who might be doing new product development, well, their wins are when, for example, Costco ranges salted caramel. Mm. That's a huge win for um, our particular team member who worked alongside Emma in achieving that. Um, we're not probably as good as we should be in celebrating achievements, you know, wins. Uh, always moving to the next one. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, but we do try and have, you know, a modest team functions, recognition, uh, the run the business like a big business where there's the full review process and assessment all the time. So people feel that they are valued. Right. So how often do you review people's performance and assess their performance? Annually. Right. Uh, Sales-wise, quarterly. Okay. And we have quarterly meetings because the business is you know, growing quite quickly. So if you don't have a quarterly meeting, you, you, you miss too much. Right. And so for the salespeople, and it, and it seems quite obvious the way you incentivize and you motivate salespeople with, you know, with, with bonus structures, incentives and everything else. But when you've got the, the office and the operations team where there might be this goal in the future to be, you know, to be um, put in a range of Costco, what other factors do you use to keep your operational team more motivated, more engaged? I mean, Emma and I work with them. Right. So no one's set adrift. Okay. So we work as a team. We've always been very much not the ones to micromanage. We let people go for it. 
And if they need some help, we give them all the help and the resources that, that, that they do need. Mm. But we've never been a micromanaging type situation. Um, our, our team behave like grown ups and, just yeah. get on, and get on with it. And so how do you, how do you recruit for that? We've used um, word of mouth and we find LinkedIn really useful. We've right. got an ad for our CFO who's an absolute gun. He's a jet. On LinkedIn, we got 160 applications in a week. Bloody hell. We went through them all. We phoned up 20. We interviewed four in person. And we've got an absolute ripper. Yeah, right. And we didn't pay a recruitment firm much to their hey, chagrin. Hey. And a, we did it ourselves. Yeah. We actually used a, a, a method called um, called top scoring, I think it's called, in-house. So we basically went through the same questions right. for every role that they'd ever had and went down, I suppose, filtered through their life in, the, in, a, in a very precise manner. Um, and in doing so, you basically draw up a very thorough picture of the person. It takes about two or three hours. Right. So you've got to be quite disciplined. Okay. Um, and in doing so, although you, you, you get to the bottom of things. That's and incredible. And we were very clear on our preference of who we were going to recruit. Right. And they're all good, but the one we wanted, we got. So how many is in the team that Emma and Tom? Uh, about 50. We've got 23 nationalities. That's and at what point as you were scaling with 50 team, 23 different nationalities, did you start to go, at what point did you go, okay, now it's fucking, now it's different, you know, because businesses, when it's a three, four, five-man band, they go, yeah, this is really simple. Then all of a sudden they start recruiting and they get to, call it 10, 15, 20, 25, and they go, oh, shit, something's changed. Like the culture's changed. We've been quite good at keeping up with the, um, I suppose, systems. Yep. So, because you do need to have things documented. Yeah, right. People need to know what's a good day and a bad day. Yeah. For their own benefit. Um, procedures, you know, we don't overlap. Uh, I go to less and less meetings these days with Emma that I say would have 10 years ago. Okay. There's no point two of us doing it. Yep. Got enough to do, you know. So, she'll go one way, I'll go the other way. On strategy, we come together. You know, things like strategy, we obviously meet once a week and talk about things. Um and I always said that I would do less when we found people who are better than me at doing my job. And we've now got a full-time CFO, and I used to do a bit of that. We've got a full-time NPD manager, and I used to do quite a lot of that with Emma. We've got a full-time sort of marketing arm now, which I used to do quite a lot of that. So I'm sort of moving out of the day-to-day running, which suits me down at the ground, and I'm now involved in, um, I suppose, corporate okay. and communications. Right, So okay. cash and comms. Cash and communications. Yeah. How much has planning pay played as a role when it comes to the success that you've created? You know, some people plan, some people don't. Some people, it's a part, it's a religion. Some people, it's something they do now and then. Do you have a planning methodology? Yeah, we have a we have an NPD pipeline. We have a, we have a budget which we visit monthly. Right. Uh, but really, our business you can only really look at in terms of, sort of quarterly or half yearly to see, to see a trend. Okay. I mean, you get blips. So you're not running on a three year rolling forecast. Yeah, we are. You are. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, three to five, in fact. Yeah, good. But of course, we don't want our fives pie in the sky but you've got to have something to talk about yeah you know to aim for and how often do you review your financials I think you did just monthly monthly and where do you think most people go wrong when it comes to their financials being a CFO you've obviously got a little bit of a different insight than perhaps the average bear um, where do you see people going wrong when it comes to managing the finances of the business I think you need to have high quality information and be prepared to pay for it yeah uh, if you don't you know at one point, we were getting our numbers sort of four or five months later than... Mm. So if you've had an a $80,000 stock loss in April and it's now September, Ooh. it's d- done, gone. Yeah. You can't do a thing about it. Yeah. And if it's, a, if it's a, a systemic issue, well, then you've slid five months in fixing it. So now we report on the 10th of every month following the month end. Yeah, right. Like clockwork, and we've got this very good CFO. The quality of reporting is excellent. Last year, we went to the NAB think about the, the 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 banking landscape in australia yep. last year we've only got 1.4 million bucks out of the nab uh it could be said don't give it to us in a year's time we won't need it then we want it now and we explained to them and they gave us a onerous list of requirements and we answered every question with a essentially a sort of a 15 tab spreadsheet showing all the different scenarios that they they'd requested and they got it and said fine it's irrefutable we will take this to credit and we'll back it for you yeah, right. And we got the cash. So what's so your... There's the quality of good information. So, and, and again, that would probably be my next question. So you're a, let's say you're a startup business, six months old, 12 months old, three years old. What, how do you define quality information? It does, is it stage dependent on the business? No, it's timely right. and accurate. Timely and accurate. That's okay. a real accounting hat for you, but absolutely. It's accurate yeah. and timely. You can make it more sophisticated. Yeah. So for example, we now run an ERP system. 
uh, earlier on, you running What's ERP a, for those who uh, don't know? enterprise resource planning. Yep. So now I can cut and cut and dice by state, by product, yeah, by right. salesperson, by category of customer. Yeah. Um, so I can tell you how many green power was sold. Did you develop your own software, or is this a yeah, this off is the off, shelf? off off the shelf, but very very um, uh, intuitive. Okay. And doesn't need to have a couple hundred thousand bucks thrown at it to get it going. So not Salesforce. <laughs> no, or other ones as well. Um, <laughs> So we found that to be a great benefit. It's it's in the cloud. Right. Uh, you can I can look at it now on my phone. I've got a dashboard. Other people have different dashboards, different levels of penetration, et cetera, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Right. It's not that expensive, mind you, as well. And you've got everything there. It's all in one spot. Do you see a lot of businesses making mistakes when it comes to managing their expenses? You know, because one thing I see when I talk to a business, I say, you know, when was the last time you did a financial report? And then, well, when I did my tax. Uh, which is then quickly followed by well, when was the last time you actually went through the light items on, on your expenses. You guys are obviously at scale now, $10 million plus business, 50 plus employees, 23 different nationalities. But do you still sit there and break down your costs and look for, 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 for areas that you can save or well, look for subscriptions that you, know, you, shouldn't be, um, that you shouldn't be paying for? Like, how do you manage costs? I got a phone call from the AFR last week and he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm reading the AFR. But I wanted to cancel my online subscription because I wasn't using it. I just realized I was a, I was a buyer of a hard copy AFR. Yeah, right. Um, we do. We look at it monthly. Um, and we're, you know, we've just actually done a lot of work on our sales. And we, we altered things like minimum orders or drop sizes or frequency of runs. And back to the old doing 100 things 1% better. Mm. And as a result, every single division state in January returned an EBIT of greater than 10% wow, in January when all the shops yeah, are closed right. in the cities. So working at it, you know, what can you do next? What's the ideal combination of juice and, 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 and milk and products? If you've only got 10 slots in a shop, what are your best 10 sellers? Rather than putting something in that's going to clog it up and not, and not move, which we obviously don't have many of those anyhow, but yep. you need to maximize things the entire time. And, you know, I, I, one of the guys I do some other business with, when he goes out and starts a new business, he wants a super margin, say, you know, 75, 80% gross margin because his view is it's hard enough. You got to get some chipped away somewhere you probably haven't thought of. So I start with a big, with a big one. Hmm. Fantastic. So a little bit of a curly one here, economic outlook. Like there's a lot of people saying a lot of things in a lot of different countries about, you know, where the global economy is headed, where the US economy is headed, where the Australian economy is headed. Um, and look, no one's got a crystal ball, but being in the markets that you are, like what's, what's your perspective? Um, we're fortunate that we're... Um, Bearing in mind, this is May 2019. I agree. I understand where you're coming from. You know, Emmer and Tom's is quite recession-proof because it's, you know, people have to eat and drink three times a day and mm. it's legal. That helps. The environment going forward uh, frightens me to death. I think if there's the election result that people predict, I think it could put Australia back 50 years, yeah, is right. my view. You know, I'm a small government-type person. And, of course, being an entrepreneur, you know, I would say, well support that environment and let me grow and employ more people mm. and buy more raw materials um, and use more trucks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, as opposed to slapping down imposts on me that make it hard to do my job. Mm. Because, you know, I'm not Australia Post. I can't just go and get more money. I'm not listed. So we, survive, we have to survive by, you know, um, hustling. Mm. Street smart. And what do you think, like you've talked about recession-proofing uh, Emma and Tom's, what are some of the things that we haven't discussed that you do or you would even recommend to other businesses to recession-proof? Um, well, if you're going to start a business, I'd start it now so you get grandfathered because if um, the capital gains tax discount's halved, you'd like to have thought you got your business set up before December 31, 2019. Mm. That could save you quite a lot of money down the track. For your um, exit? Fear exit, yep. which you're going to do at some point. Yep. Now, you know, on that one, uh, if, if you start anything, think how it looks in 10, 15 years' time. It's going to take you that long to get it to your full fruition. Mm. Not many people sort of build and flip in five years. Yeah, it right. takes to build something up to, the, I suppose, the level of achievement that you, that you, that you foresee or plan probably got to be a 10, 15-year process. So see how that looks for yourself. Um, explore doing things offshore if you think the environment there is going to be better for you. There's no rules against that. Uh, if you feel like you can probably do a, a, have a, a better return for your shareholder, yep. well, you know, it's a free market. No one's forcing you to set up in Australia, uh, particularly if you can be a global business these days. But I'm curious from your perspective, 
you know, because one of the things that I see is when people get into business, they want to make money. What do you make money for? Because they want to buy a car. They want to buy a house. They want to buy stuff to impress people in most cases they don't even know, let alone they don't even like. Whereas I was like that. But then I kind of reached this point through exposures like to Apple and other, other companies like, fuck, I need to be, you know, building a war chest because you just don't know. You know, you just don't know. But I'm curious from your perspective, how important is it to stockpile cash in an environment like this or an environment that we're moving into or just as good business strategy? Yeah, I heard last week that most Australians haven't got $5,000 packed away to sort of survive Shit. through a, you know, a, a major dental incident or whatever it might be, you know, the, the, the emergency five grand. Um, I agree with you. I actually sold a house and gave most of the contents away to the um, Red Shield Appeal about three years ago. Good for you. And I've skimmed right down. And Emma and I have pulled a lot out. I don't have any lifestyle assets. Yep. Um, we've done it all for the business. And, you know, one day the fruits of my labor will probably be realized. And in, in the meantime, I'm focused on um, supporting my daughters, um, you know, and growing the business. Right. And that's that. And even the girls know, you know, we did a thing recently with one of your colleagues on a Sunday at Pinstripe Media. And they had the, my daughters came along because it was my, my weekend. We were in Sydney and, yeah. and did the thing with David Kosh. And, you know, they know that. They're, they've been at food shows with me. They go out and do, do drops on the weekend with me. You know, they understand. We go to the cool room in Sydney and they walk in and tell me how cold it is. It's two degrees. I know it's a cool room. Um, you know, so that's life. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, we have this big thing, Emma and I, we, we, we laugh at the, the phrase work-life balance because it sort of denotes work, bad, life, good. Yeah. And that's not our view. We just, you know, it, it blends through. So how do you integrate being a single dad and being a parent? Like you involve your kids, obviously, in the business, or how do you... How do you yeah, how but they're work? only young. They're, they're both only 9 and 11, but they get that they've got a responsibility and, you know, I do things to help them and they can help me. So if I've got to go help, say, get a, get set up for, um, for an event, they'll be carting packs of bars from the van to the tables and unwrapping things and you know doing their bit so they're quite involved yeah where well, they have to be yeah. Yeah. yeah and they enjoy it yeah yeah and they understand that you know it's the it's the business um that's what that's what i do my youngest daughter's a bit of a dream and thinks i'm a public figure because my name is emron tom which is hysterical <laughs> um but they get along with it you know and yeah. we, so they enjoy do they it. get a little bit of a kick when they go into a um you know a coffee shop or a, yeah. a shop and they see you know oh there's dad's name on a product on the shelf yeah, the oldest one particularly. The other, the other one only, only drinks ice water. All <laughs> right, so she doesn't really care. She's lost on me. Yeah, <laughs> she's dead to me. Yeah. So what's next for Emma, Emma and Tom? Like you guys have obviously you know, 100 odd or maybe up to 100 different products in development, um, numerous investment opportunities on the horizon. Where, where do you see yourselves going in the next five to 10? Um, we're still very happily doing what we do. We get a lot of interest from people sort of looking at the business, but that's, you know, that, that's probably a factor of being a brand and yep. being exposed. We're about to release a range of um, kefir water with a business that we've uh, aligned with called the Fermentary, who are like fermenting experts. Right. And kefir water, we believe, is going to be the next sort of uh, uh, probiotic, healthy, um, great-tasting drink available in the in the route trade. Uh, so over and above kombucha. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's phase two. We're putting glass bottles of juice into China, which will increase. We are told by our distributor their sales tenfold. That's that's exciting. Yeah, we like so sales. why is that? I'm, I did click Less before. wastage and denoted as being more premium. Right. Uh, longer life, therefore more flexible uses of it. Doesn't need to be refrigerated. Okay. Um, we've just, we've just won this contract to provide Costco Taiwan with salted caramel milk, which has given rise to conversation with Costco by them coming to us and saying, well. We have more countries and you've got more products, so what can we do together? So that's exciting. That is exciting. Um, we're doing, obviously, this two-litre uh, breakfast juice being both prebiotic fibre, being the fibres your biobes like to live on, and probiotic in it so it's alive, yeah. um, going into major grocery. And we've developed and we're about to market, um, and it's probably been actually in the refrigerator section of the supermarket, so quite a novel place for a bar, a, a fruit and nut bar with three egg whites in it, so high protein. Yeah, right. And delicious. I've tasted them. They're, they're did, you, did you bring often, one in? No, they're, they're, they're still like being RPD, yeah, right. NPD. Would but you they, send me one? I'll send you I've got a photograph of you. Can, you <laughs> Can I lick the phone? Yeah. <laughs> so they're going to be a cracker. I'll send you a box or two yeah. for this large crowd here. I love it, yeah. Um, when they're out, because they're, they're a cracker. Yeah, right. Fantastic. Really good. So best piece of advice you've ever received? Um, I think review your business model. Everything's changing the entire time. And take advice, two things. Mm. So, you know, you're not going to always be doing it right or the, 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 everything right. There's always things you can do to improve. With the market changing now so, so rapidly and the rate of change in the world, um, 
even in NPD and innovation in food, in, in, you know, in my case, there's innovation in packaging, for example. So Emma and I, our main concern always is what we don't know, we don't know. Mm. So always seek out. So how much money do you invest in learning, like in terms of you know, advice and, and, and sharpening the saw? Is it something that you have a dedicated- It doesn't cost much. People are very willing to give you their time. Yeah, right. You know, a few couple of years ago, my PR advisor was doing some work for Jalni Yogurt. Yeah. And they're not a competitor. So I said to Chelsea, like, I'd love to meet um, Costa, who's the head of sales there, because he's been dealing with Coles and Woolworths for 20 years, and we're just starting to. So I went and got an hour from, from Costa of what he, how he goes about it. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, we had an advisory board, which is where I, I've got a mate, uh, James Carnegie, who was a Sydney VC guy, PE guy, and he came and talked to us, and I said to him, do we need an advisory board? He said, shit, yeah, straight away. And Emma's like, well, why? We know what we're going to do. We've got a plan for the year. And James is like, it's free advice. So we put that together. We had James, we had Carolyn Creswell from Carmen's, um, and a, a partner from PwC, and we sat down three times a year for three for two hours a time. And you know the download you get in two hours gives you three months' work, mm. absolutely, and it's free advice. Why mm. would you not take free, free advice? So early on, we didn't take advice because not because we were arrogant. We just we actually were naive. We thought we were just doing what we we're doing and had our heads down. But you're in your bubble. You might have somebody at forty thousand feet in their chopper, chopper come across and have a look at you. And you get some very good views. Mm. Best book you've ever read? The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Oh, who wrote that? Good question. He's That's a, he's a, a PE one. guy in the, in the US and he had HP, he had a Packard, and he was running it and he got it down to nothing. And he, no, he had business and he sold to HP for one and a half billion right. off the back of one day being worth nothing. And he said to himself, if this goes to the hole and goes into administration, which bit would I salvage for myself? And he realized the bit he'd salvage was not the bit that was employing all the people. So he closed that bit down, the, the big bit, and worked on the little bit that he thought they had a real vision. Right. He sold it into HP for $1.4 billion. How much later? A couple of years. A couple of years later? What, Extraordinary. Ben, ben, Hor- that's it? ben Horowitz, fantastic. He was a very early stage um, employee and investor in, in Netscape and all those ones. Yeah, so right. he, he'd been around. Okay, fantastic. Wasn't his first go. Well, not his first radio. Tom, this has been power packed. This has literally been a mile a minute. Um, for people who want to find out more about you, more about Emmer and Tom's, where's the place, best place they can go to find out? You have you written a book yet? Well, I, I wonder if, you, if there's a book in it. Yes, I don't know. Um, obviously, Emma and Tom, longhand.com. Yep. And, of course, there's articles and things all over the web. And we're approachable. Give me a call. Yeah, fantastic. You are, and I'll, I'll attest to that. Tom, thank you so much. This has been absolutely value-packed. Great. Real pleasure. Thank you for coming to Unstoppable. Thank you. Mate, that was This episode was brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast-growth program for business. There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And do me a favor, don't forget to drop me a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear what you think. I love reading what you guys have to say. And your reviews make sure we keep creating killer content just like this. If you want to stay up to date with me and all my movements, please jump onto the website, kerwinray.com. And also check us out on social media, at Kerwin Ray.